0: And we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices.
1: Hello, everyone. Mary Kate Saliva here with you on Veteran Voices. Thanks for joining us today as we've got a wonderful conversation teed up with a great veteran and advocate, stay tuned for a great discussion. Quick programming note before we get started, this program is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming. And today's show in particular is conducted in partnership with our friends at vets to industry near dear favorite of mine. Learn more about this powerful nonprofit that is serving so many folks at Vets2Industry.org an initiative that's near and dear to my heart, the Guam Human Rights Initiative. You can find them on LinkedIn and at the University of Guam under Regional Center for Public Policy. Okay, without further ado, waiting for so weeks to talk to this guy, but let's introduce our guest today. He is a veteran of the US Marine Corps. He's also a huge advocate, probably a LinkedIn celebrity, as some might call him. Project management expert professional. but well, let's welcome in Josh Atkinson. So thank you for joining me today, Josh.
0: Hey, American, I'm so glad to be here. I'm not sure I'm a LinkedIn celebrity. I'm just a shameless networker. And therefore, I think people know me, love me, or hate me. I'm not sure. Is it notorious <laughs> or famous? I think uh <laughs> <laughs> but really glad to be here and awesome to get to know you. You know, I've enjoyed the friendship that we've built last you know couple of years. And for all the work that you're doing, you know, with PMI and so many advocacy groups out there, like Vets to Industry and others really trying to help, you know, I think share the same passion we have of how do we help veterans prepare earlier, become more aware and have the tools and resources they need, you know, farther out before transition so that you're not tripping off the cliff, I think, in transition and really can can set yourself for success. So, oh, yeah, really absolutely.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, you—you couldn't—I couldn't have said it better myself. Definitely want to take that opportunity here to talk about how you continue to serve beyond the uniform. And I see representation. I think I was getting a little bit heavy on interviewing the Army, you know, since I am an Army veteran. But can't forget about my <coughs> brothers and sisters. So <laughs> glad to have you on here. Um, I'm going to take our listeners today, like way back. I don't know how far back we're going to go, but we're going to go way back and get to know you a little bit better. But I'd like to start off by pumping us up with some motivation. Do you have a favorite uh, motivational quote, song lyric you can sing if you want to?
0: Oh, you don't want to hear me sing. That would break some windows. No. So my favorite quote, I think, hit me when I was you know, at the academy in college is that my greatest weakness is relying on my own strength. Right. And I think, you know, I saw a lot of good leaders, a lot of good mentors that were out there saying you can't do it alone you know and recently i hear people say if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together you know and just kind of going back to that you know we need people in our life to help us get to where we really want to go and so often in leadership i think we we get isolated we don't know how to relate to people when you're in transition you feel like there's no one that you can talk to and we carry a burden that we are not meant to carry by ourselves i don't think god built us that way right we needed to have other people around us to help out so it truly became something i've learned it's hard to live by but that our greatest weakness really is trying to do things alone and we need to reach out and help each other so that is my my motivation my, my mentorship strategy quote whatever you want to call it for today uh, is that you know we are here to help one another and that is my passion
1: I, I love that and i definitely think that this it's apparent in the work that you're doing now in so many different arenas in the veteran military space uh so i thank you for that and that was definitely one to, to pump us up because I think that was, that's what Veteran Voice is all about—is about giving back. So uh, that's a fantastic quote, and the first time I've heard I've heard that one. So thank you. But I am I am going to take us uh, back, as I said, can't let the listeners down. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about where you where you grew up.
0: All right. I am a SoCal boy at heart. I grew up in Chino, really? California. Yep, about an hour east of LA. And when I was a kid, they were disconnected cities. And now it's become like all the megatropolis of Los of San Diego, where it's just one massive entity of houses, you know, all over SoCal. So my life growing up in Southern California was very different, I think, than it is today. You know, spent time dirt bike riding in the high desert and shooting and blowing up stuff all over the flatlands out there in the training areas, you know, out near Yuma and Arizona. And I mean, we're riding dirt bikes through, you know, the, the bombing ranges. Uh, and some of that stuff as a kid, long before I even knew really much about the military and spent a lot of time out in the desert. But loved what I got to do growing up, spent a lot of time, you know, outdoors, a lot of time in community, you know, volunteer work with church and missions, and really kind of set, I think, the framework and foundation of service that I think is carried with me, you know, long through my time in college and the military and now even beyond. And it, it's defined my why, which is really about leading and helping people. So you know, I was blessed had a great you know family life growing up. Got to do a lot of good stuff. You know, SoCal from beaches to mountains and deserts, and exploring a lot of different cultures too. That I think you know exposed me to the value of people and to never judge a book by its cover, but mm. to try to get to know people. You know, allow people to be who they are, be free to be who they are, get to know them, and then once you've known them, then assess. But it takes time and it takes energy, but it's worth it.
1: You talked about a lot about the the desert. And the sun and the heat. So, no snow, I'm guessing.
0: <laughs> uh, limited snow. No, like, you know, four seasons did not exist in my childhood. I mean, we used to drive out to, to Big Bear and, you know, uh, places in the mountain to go tubing or snow skiing, but snow is a very infrequent part of my uh, childhood. Uh, it is not that way anymore now in Virginia, but I do like snow. I did go to Minnesota where my cousins lived when I was a kid, and I think they had a high of zero one day in winter, and I still could not comprehend how zero became a high, you know, on the weather chart. (laughs) I was like, this
1: is is interesting.
0: And I think me and my infinite wisdom showed up on the plane wearing board shorts and a bomber jacket, and it was like negative 15 outside. And I was not prepared to uh, go from SoCal to Minnesota in winter, but still had a great time, but I had some learning to do.
1: Oh, gosh. And and you mentioned, I'm trying trying to picture you you on a dirt bike as well, but you talk about like the different uh, facilities, bombing areas. So did you, seeing that, did that sort of get you that drive of, oh, my gosh, I want to do something hardcore, join the military kind of thing? Was that, did you have a lot of exposure to the military at that age?
0: Um, so I did air shows growing up, so I think I've always had a passion to want to fly and kind of being in and around and supporting the military. Um, my dad was an Air Force vet, but he did, you know, three years in as an MP and he was never in uniform when I was alive. So it wasn't like a family thing, but one of my biggest mentors growing up, a guy named Billy Book was a Marine infantryman back in Gulf One. And again, he wasn't serving when I knew him, but I think my dad's leadership style was very military based, you know, from how he grew up. And then my mentors, I learned later on, were also just seemingly connected to military. So it wasn't a plan of mine growing up to say, hey, I'm going to go you know, to the Naval Academy. I'm going to go into the military. It just became an opportunity really later on in my life that was a great fit. So I actually told him I wanted to go to West Point, you know, to your Army connection. And my mentor said I wasn't allowed to go to West Point. I had to go to the Marines Academy. And I had no idea what the heck he was talking about. So he we're told sick. me about Annapolis, and I decided to apply. You know, my senior year, and you know, like I said, by, "By God's grace, I got the chance and privilege to go there." And I can't take credit for it; I just who I was and what I was doing fit within that service community, and it allowed me the opportunity to go. And I think it's been a great blessing. You know, as I've gone now through my crazy career, and not being successful by military terms, but everything I've been able to do and experience has now led to my ability to help people today. You know, yeah, your, like, it sounds buddy. like
1: it started early age for you, you know, even coming from, you know, the fact that your dad was a veteran, too. But having those different uh, mentors along the way during that time in your life, were there sort of any anecdotes or two from your upbringing that you you clearly remember from that time? Any kind of lessons learned before you uh <laughs> graduated high school?
0: I think the biggest one is always that, you know, life is what you make it right. And life isn't fair. And I try to teach my kids, that you know, yeah. I remember a story of my dad, you know, it's, we're getting served ice cream or whatever we were having. And my sister walks up and complains that I was getting more than she was. So my dad took her bowl, scooped it into his own and gave her none and said, well, at least you could have had some, and now you get nothing, you know, and that
1: <laughs> just oh, kind of always it.
0: It's like, be grateful for what you have Realize that life will never be equal to everyone, but we're all blessed and you can still make the best of whatever you get. Right. And you know, I I did a similar thing with, you know, we taught junior high later on and I was like, look, this is how it's going to work. If y'all complain, you're getting none. So learn to be appreciative and trying to teach that is obviously harder sometimes than to experience it. But I think really just kind of set the framework of, you know, try to be grateful, try to be content, appreciate what you have and strive for more, right? You don't have to settle for what you have, but always be aware of how much you really do have and don't miss out on the blessings of today simply because you're looking in the wrong place, right? And I think that really, you know, set the framework, you know, my, my mentor who was a Marine, you know, was, you know, eat it now, taste it later. You know, a lot of his anecdotes of being in the infantry and how hard it was and how much it kind of sucked once in a while, but, you know, he kind of exuded the same thing of, you know, always appreciate what you have. If you don't have it, make do, you know, and, and improvise. Um, so that's probably the the one that kind of stands out from my upbringing of just. That's great. keep fighting, you know, it's never going to be fair, never going to be equal. Life is going to be hard, but it's what you do with it that counts, not complaining about it.
1: Yeah, that that journey, right? And, and now I'm just imagining your your sister's face when your dad took <laughs>
0: her scoop of
1: ice cream. So
0: oh, she was pissed. No, was, this is not fair. He's like, you are correct, but life isn't fair.
1: Oh my so. gosh. Yeah. And I, yeah so <laughs> I think I'm gonna see that next time I see a ice cream on a cone. I <laughs> knock it off the kid's cone and There's <laughs> a life lesson for you. Thanks, thanks to your dad for that. So yeah, that's a, a great segue in uh imagining that scoop of ice cream when you entered the academy and that opportunity that you had to serve in, in a very unique environment. You know, it's not like a, your typical uh, commissioning route, no. v- very unique. So it, you want to talk to us a little bit there about, um, you know, I, I want to talk about the the branch that you served in, but I know that there, that was a pivotal time too, being at Annapolis before you even figured out which branch you were going into.
0: Yeah, I mean, Annapolis is a unique place, right? It's absolutely beautiful. It is a leadership laboratory, as they would say because you will experience all of the goods and all of the bads of leadership while you're there. But for me, it, you know, it's sad or good or whatever, it felt like home because my dad was very disciplined, you know, very structured. So going there was not the culture shock. I think that for some it can be for me, I think it was a really good fit for me. I am kind of ADD and I get scatterbrained. So having that structure around me in college is actually a really good fit to help stay focused and stay disciplined. And, Really, again, expose you to a lot of other responsibilities early on. I remember being your
1: hospital like, corners were perfect,
0: huh? Oh yeah, forty-five degrees, and you learn how to make sure they stay that way. But it's it's funny when you're there, you can almost tell who's going to be a marine and who's going to be navy, because those that are marines always had like you know uniforms were pressed and your shoes were shiny, you know, and you could just kind of tell like there was a different personality of people that kind of lended towards wanting to go marine corps or spec war versus those who wanted to go surface war for the other communities. But you still worked, you still played, you still did a lot of stuff together. And it was great to build that camaraderie and learn, you know, but as you're there, you know, I, I had Marines as my senior enlisted advisors, you know, I just was kind of always still drawn to the Marine Corps community. And in some aspects, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I felt like the Marine Corps had more options because you still had the aviation side. You still had, you know, supply logistics in the ground side. And right. it gave you a breadth of choices where I felt like in the Navy, you're either like, you know, surface warfare, aviation, or subs, and you kind of, that's it, and I was like, well, I don't know what I want, so I'm going to lean towards Marine Corps, because if this one doesn't work out, I have more options at the end, to hedging your bets, Right? <laughs> if this doesn't work, I have more choices in the end, but I loved it, I loved where I started, you know, I loved choosing Marine Corps, and going through training, you know, getting to experience and challenge yourself physically, and emotionally, and mentally, I mean, going through SEER, you know, Arctic Warfare, the basic school, I mean, a lot of the trainings you go through are really unique, And they really teach you a lot about yourself. They show you what you're able to handle, which I think breeds a level of confidence and character, right? You know, in service, but really beyond that. You're able to know that, you know, I've been through worse. I can handle this. And there really is a brotherhood, you know, and a sisterhood as I know you experienced in the army. You know, when you go through difficult times and you go through hard training, there's a bond you create that you cannot build outside of adversity. Right. You know, and I think, As much as we we don't like pain, we don't like hard times, right? Character is forged, right? And the chance to go through that training, the chance to go through those things, really helps build a bond and a character that I am forever grateful for. And you know, you are never not a Marine. You can never unbrainwash yourself. You know, they are good at.
1: That's the truth. (laughs) No true statement.
0: (laughs) You know, they're good at building that
1: identity. Any challenges that you faced at that time it was like it. It is a unique place compared to any other commissioning leadership program out there. But were there any times that you can recall that you you experienced a challenge at the academy, and so oh. how do you, how you overcame that?
0: Chem- chemistry freshman year and calculus. Sorry,
1: no. I think- oh yeah. Well, I mean, freshman year is not like any other freshman year <laughs> at any other university, right? You're no. You
0: know, I mean, I was always good academically, you know, in high school, I was always good at math and I was able to advance ahead into three dimensional calculus in my freshman year. And the first day in class, the teacher starts talking and I had no idea what he was talking about. And I raised my hand going like, I don't know what you're really saying right now. And he just blew me off and is like, we're moving on. And I think I never felt so like, Oh shit. You know, like, what are those, like, what the heck is happening to me right now? Um foreign language, huh? Oh yeah. You know, but it's just, again, it was my first time in some ways to be really put out of my comfort zone. And I'd been in circumstances as a kid, you know, I was always, you know, able to, you know, be confident in who I was, you know, and, you know, not always a popular kid. So you deal with, you know, typical childhood adversity, but, you know, being at the academy, going from California to Maryland, you know, couldn't have a cell phone, no one to really call at the time, you know, back before cell phones were even really a thing, you know, dating myself a little bit, you know, and being put in environments where there wasn't that community to fall back on. You didn't have you know, immediate friends, you didn't have people to reach out to. And you're kind of having to discover who you are and learn how to deal with adversity Mm -hmm. without a safety net. Right. I mean, you weren't completely alone. You had peers and, you know, classmates, but from an emotional perspective, you're really kind of on your own for the first time. So there was a lot of trial for me emotionally that first year, all my friends growing up were older than I was. And yet, you know, the Academy, you can't fraternize with anyone who's an upper class as a freshman so I couldn't make friends with the upper class. I couldn't go to the people I would probably normally grab, you know, gravitate towards to mm, make friendships. So yeah. that became hard. You know, and in that kind of silence, you have to go introspective and start seeing, you know, who am I? Can I make this? You know, can I do this? And you know, everyone's journey is different. But it really did challenge me a lot emotionally, you know, at that time to say, like, this is really where I want to be. Is this really what I want to do? Can I make it? You know, can I handle this? because it was challenging. It was academically challenging for me, you know, like an over 4.0 student, like all through high school. And I think I had like barely a two, five freshman year, you know, I remember hoping for a D in my calculus class and just to get it done. And I was like, I'm not one of those people, you know, like I'm failing, I'm, you know, really struggling. And it, it challenged me a lot, but again, it set a, a character foundation that says you can get through it. Right. You know, when you go through Mm -hmm. the end and you persevere, you build confidence and you realize what you're made of and you start learning how to build a network around yourself. You start, how to, how to self-care in some ways, what is it that you need to take the breaks that you need to have? And, you know, how do you find the right friends and loyalties and things like that? So it let me learn things that I would never have been able to learn otherwise in any other environment. Right. And I, I think a normal college for me would not have been a good fit. What I was, was, was your extracurricular, Josh? Extra-curricular, I played racquetball in band, right? I am a band nerd through and through. I was was it symbols? Nope, drumline. I'm a drumline drum guy. Line. oh, drumline,
1: very cool.
0: So, a drumline guy, and then I was a golfer in high school. Again, the nerd sports, but mm-hmm. I got into racquetball. Um, no fast running in involved, time. Huh? Oh no, I, I hate <laughs> running. I, I ran three miles a year. <laughs> hey, in yeah, you Corps. joined
1: the Marine Corps. Oh yeah. Hey. <laughs> For those that don't know, that's what the Marines do. They yeah, run, run, run and keep running. They run like
0: here's a ten mile warm up. Yep, oh. uh, running. We did a lot in the Marine Corps, but. Uh, you know, I got into racquetball. Racquetball was extracurricular. You know, I lucked into uh, some friends that worked at the academy that used to coach and, and teach racquetball. They were sponsored by various tenants companies, and I got exposed to that sport. And it was very similar to golf. It was you had know, nine racquetball courts at the academy. It was right down below my dorms. So it was something I could go do to be physical and build a friendship. And we actually built a club team. I ended up getting sponsored by Ectolon Rackets. You know, so we actually built an entire team sport out of it we used to travel all over the dc area going to tournaments and for me that became a really big outlet for me was getting into competitive sports in college so i probably played you know 10 to 15 hours a week you know down downstairs but it gave oh me time goodness. again to coach and to teach and
1: something about <laughs> you know, getting trapped in a room with a ball flying around bound to get yeah. hit in the head or the oh, you face hit.
0: you're gonna get hit and it hurts <laughs> like
1: the, the big goggles that's like you like the minions like the giant goggles, yep. so you don't get smacked in the take
0: an eye out. Yeah. But there's a lot, I mean, again, it's knowing yourself, right? So part of the thing I loved about golf and racquetball is sports is that you have to know what you're capable of, because if you try to be somebody you're not or play the game in a way that isn't how you play it, you're going to lose. Right. So we saw it all the time. You know, sometimes we're going up in golf that, you know, some other smaller player could hit a club and he could hit it farther than me. And your pride comes in and you're like, I can do that too. And then you try it and you screw it up and it hurts you when you're not on competitive And same yeah. thing in racquetball, like you play against somebody who had a shot that was, you know, kicking your butt. And You're like, I can do that too, but you haven't practiced it. You don't know it. That isn't who you are. And if you try to be somebody you're not in that sport, you will never win. You have to know you, you have to know your skills, your strengths and your weaknesses and play to those, right. And play with those. And if you don't, then you're going to lose. So I think it was just a really good, again, starting point on, know yourself, know who you are, be comfortable with that, and stay in that realm, stay in that lane, right? Not that you can't learn and expand yourself, but you have to know yourself first and be comfortable with that, you know, first and foremost.
1: That's good you find a life lesson in, in racquetball, too, because, <laughs> I mean, it's all these little life lessons and anecdotes along the way, um, but I do want to to talk about your time when you, you did become a Marine Corps officer when you graduate commission, where did you end up end up going and, and tell us a little bit about your career from there?
0: All right. Where did I end up going? A little bit everywhere. So, started out in aviation. I was an aviation contract. I went all the way through flight school. So, the basic schools where everybody starts in Quantico, Virginia, then down to Pensacola. We had a huge backlog in time. So, it was six months' wait before I even started flight school. So, I volunteered and became an exo at a signal school across the way at Corey's. You
1: volunteered? Agency. Oh, my goodness. What are you I've doing, argued,
0: Josh? I would go nuts if it was like, Hey, just go <laughs> to the beach and do nothing for, I was like, I did not become an officer to do nothing. So I volunteered to go become the XO at Corey station. Great. You know, first humbling experience when I walk in and the master guns had been in service longer than i have been alive, you know, and it was, you know, humbling to say, Hey, you know, he's calling me, sir. And it's like, you know, I don't deserve that. Right. You know, yeah. I should be on you, sir. And learning the culture and respect that I saw from the senior enlisted to help build, you know, the identity of an officer in the Marine Corps, um, you know, to start there. And then, you know, six months later, started flight school, moved out to Corpus Christi, you know, out in Texas, which was great. And then due to weather got delayed there. I mean, so my, my journey to flight school was really long. Eventually finished in Meridian. I had a crazy mountain bike accident, separated my shoulder, added more months to my journey to becoming a pilot, which that part I think was hardest for me going through that because when I, you know, got delayed, I lost my class, right? So normally you go through with a single class and you're always training together. You're kind of this team and camaraderie. And when I separated my shoulder, I got detached from that class. And when I finally got back into the cockpit, you're kind of just shotgunned all around, right? So I think that started a framework for me of just kind of get it done rather than do it right. Um, mm. I then went to the Harrier community. When I showed up, they had just had a class A mishap and it shut down student training for about six months. So there was another massive delay, again, getting into training. And as we started getting back into training, they were trying to accelerate and make up for lost student production. And since I was a class lead, I was a senior ranking officer in the class. You know, my class voiced that they felt unsafe. So I did what I thought was right. And I spoke up about it. And that became kind of the beginning of the end for my aviation career, you know, whether I liked it or not. So, you know, I finished, I graduated, got to the fleet. Made some normal, I think, new guy mistakes. And all of a sudden, my CEO says, You know, you're grounded pending an investigation. I did not realize it, but he had railroaded me out of that community through the investigation process. Um, so that was a really painful time for me. Uh, the board, the investigation board came back unanimously that I was a good pilot and I should be kept flying. But my CEO had disagreed, but didn't tell me until the paperwork had gone all the way through the chain of command. So felt really betrayed, was really frustrated at that time. But I then transitioned to ground logistics. Uh, served with the infantry as an S4. I deployed with NATO, doing air logistics, you know, had a great time. And then again, more adversity. I was with Victor 1-9. Uh, if you go look up Hawthorne, Nevada, 2013, uh, there was a mortar mishap that killed eight, eight Marines. And since I was a vocal advocate against some of the things that the command was doing, uh, the CO pinned it on me. So, you know, again, it was just a rough, some rough years in my career, and yet I was so truly blessed to be a Marine. You know, I deployed after that with SOCOM doing human intelligence. I came back and got into division plans, you know, got told about project management and Lean Six Sigma when I was in uniform and I saw the blessing and benefit that those had, you know, in active duty. And little did I know that that would then create the foundation for me to build a company, you know, three years later, that's now, you know, five years old called PM ProLearn, where I'm able to take all of that experience, you know, all of that struggle and pain in some ways, but now be able to help and relate to so many people who have been down so many different career tracks in every MOS and every branch of service to achieve the vision of helping people that we have now of integrating you know, certifications as PME so that people can have a better transition than I did, right? So at the time, it hurt. At the time, it sucked. And I can look at it now. And I, I told my best friend this morning as I was talking to him that you know I would not be effective today had I not been on the journey I've been on and you know when you look at what's right in front of you it doesn't make sense and it hurts and it's hard and yet the character being forged in you is still being built and now as a result we have a you know successful company with you know 20 19 to 20 employees and we're helping thousands of veterans a year learn through the blessing that I had you know in uniform so
1: did you end up having um you, so you spoke to your your best friend this morning did you have a couple people at that time in your, your career that you, you could turn to, do you have any sort of mentorship guidance that stick out to you in your time in the Marine Corps?
0: So my best friend, James uh, chair pitch is who I talked to. I mean, we're still friends. He's my best man at my wedding and, and me for his, and he's about to take over command of a VAQ squadron actually up in, in that uh, I'm flying out to for a change of command uh, this summer. So, I mean, he was, just a really good friend for me, you know, as a confidant, but the, the thought of a mentor, you know, role model. Like it's one of the things I think I had as a gap in my career, um, along mm-hmm. the way. Right? I don't think I really had any mentor until my last CO, Colonel Simmons. Right at the G four was I think one of the first people who kind of took me under his wing. Is like I want to try to help you. You know, at that point I'm you know nine years into service. You know, so because I think of the aviation career path and how it works, you know how long it is in the pipeline. Like you don't get that traditional mentorship of you know someone to come alongside you. But he was a tremendous resource for me and a really good mentor. Um, Gary Loberg's another one. He was Lieutenant Colonel when I was with NATO. You know, kind of the first time I felt like somebody listened and cared and wanted to guide me, you know, in my career. He was instrumental in me getting to choose uh, logistics as my second career choice, you know, after aviation. And to have someone kind of believe in you, regardless of the, you know, what's on paper, um, right, was really impactful to me. You know, I still look back at that time with him and say, I really needed someone like that, you know, when I was going through that transition to to believe in me and say, you know, I think you have a lot to offer. So Colonel Ober, Colonel Simmons, I mean, those two were probably the biggest active duty mentors that I have. My friend, James, you know, my friend, Travis Hale, you know, he went through some stuff later on, but those are guys from the Academy that were my sponsor brothers, you know, have always been kind of just key pieces for me, you know, and, and my last is my, um, my spiritual mentor, I guess, you know, Ron Kohler, uh, was a Bible study leader that I had from the navigators back in college, you know, and he was always someone I could call and ask for, you know, kind of that spiritual advice, you know, as a Christian to say, Hey, like I'm struggling with this and have someone who would never judge you, never look down on you. I had no knowledge of the military whatsoever so it was never a career thing but it was just a life thing to say you know I need someone to talk to no matter how bad it is no matter how much it hurt or what you've done that would never judge you and always give you sound advice. So, you know, I was blessed to have key people that were able to be there with me along the way but you know a military mentor was something I never felt like I really had and I think there's a huge value in getting that early you know in your active duty career.
1: I agree I I think it's interesting about you highlighting the aviation track and, and that career journey there and the lack of mentorship, because I'm sure that maybe some of our listeners today, they they may have been in the same boat where they didn't have a mentor, but looking back on it, just how pivotal that is. And even during that time where you made a decision to help out your, your buddies and to speak up and speak out, and that's not something that in this career field is something that's always looked... <laughs> As a positive, it can definitely be a career under at the same time. So I think even just having mentors to bounce off sometimes when we have ideas like that, where we are looking over the cliff and we're like, we are going to be the hero. And uh, in this story, uh, the military, uh, you know, doesn't always take that too well. So I think it, it is something that, you know, looking back, but as you said, you you were forged from the experiences that you had, and it helped lead you to where you are today. And I think that's really powerful. And so with that, you know, I really wanted to talk about your your transition, because you did have that time in a different, you didn't have like a direct career path with the Marine Corps. You sort of bounced in different areas and, yep. and had a long haul there. But especially because you, you said you didn't get a, a mentor really until you're almost at the halfway mark. So what did that look like for you deciding, making that choice to transition from active duty?
0: I mean, it wasn't really a choice that I had, right? I mean, my choice for transition was made for me. I was a non-select major, right? Because of the crazy career path that I had, and the Marine Corps was looking to downsize from, you know, 202,000 down to 184,000 at the time. So it was kind of looking for anyone that didn't fit the mold, right? So I think mm. I was an easy, easy pickings when it came to who don't you pick for major? So my transition was not desired. I did not leave because I wanted to. I I left because I was told you have to get out. You know, in that I didn't really have a transition mentor, which I think it also driven my passion to help others. You know, mentor or navigate transition better. It was kind of hey, go to a job fair, figure it out. And again, the one gap is most of the people you want to turn to were still on active duty and have never actually been down that road before. So there's no one. You know, this is back in you know 2014, you know, 15. I got not selected like the first time. It's like you know who do I turn to? Well, my peers have never been through it before, they'll try to help and give you advice. But there wasn't the same value, I think, of like, you know, V2I and the networking community. I didn't know what LinkedIn was or how to use it. I didn't know how to network. I did not know how to reach out to and find the mentors that are there now to be able to figure out how to navigate it. So I turned to headhunters. I mean, I I talked to Bradley Morris. Originally, they're the ones that told me about PMP. You know, thankfully, I already had Lean Six. You know, I was talking with Orion, you know, and Lucas Group and Cameron Brooks, and I end up using alliance careers myself, you know, which I thought was just the thing to do. It was the easy button on some level because I didn't know how to navigate transition. So having someone kind of do it for you seemed like the best decision to make. In hindsight being 2020, I learned a lot in that process and the journey I've been down showed me a lot. Right. I, think I could have possibly done better. But now that's framed my hunting versus fishing analogy where. You know, I just equated it to trout fishing throw your resume into the water, hope to catch a fish and you want a guaranteed fish, go to a trout farm. And that's a headhunter that just throws your resume in front of starving fish, you know, and you're guaranteed to get one, you know, so the the music stopped and I got to take a job home and I was grateful to have the job, you know, and I love the field of project management, but I quickly learned I could have been probably more, you know, happier and better suited in a different company or earned a lot more as well, right? If I would have known how to network, what I was really worth and how to talk to people, which I try to teach those now, right? How to hunt, right? How to use right. LinkedIn, how to find veterans inside of companies. But first and foremost, and I just talked to the USO earlier today to do some classes with them on how do you identify who you are and build a foundation of your identity, your passions, your skills, and your strengths when the uniform comes off. Right. And I think that's so hard for us to do as vets because we are given a new identity, you know, in uniform that we don't know how to shed and we don't really want to shed. But then you leave the family and you kind of get in this like floundering, you know, foreign orphan space of wanting to be adopted and yet not really knowing how to go about that.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate what you're saying about the transition and the importance of networking because that's something that I don't think that. But at least I know for my transition off active duty, I didn't really know about networking until I started putting myself out there, reaching out to the different platforms like Vets to Industry and Veterati and LinkedIn. And that's where I really learned about networking. But did they even have SFL TAP during your time? Did you have a transitioning class you had to go through?
0: Yeah. And I think it was only slightly worse than it probably is today. I mean, it was a a five-day mandatory class to tell you about. You know writing a resume and and how to do an interview, and they kind of had bring a suit and wear it in and see if it fits right or something for the little bit. And most of it was about how to get enrolled in the you know VA and teaching you about you know disability claims and other stuff. but it was not enough at all, right? And again, my passion is that you spend years years building a new identity and give you five days and you know and a you know slap on the back saying, thanks for your service, go figure it out and it really takes a lot more than that and it takes time, you know, and and my passion is trying to help build a transition educational continuum that starts three to five years out, right? Give, you know, our vets time to explore and deconstruct the identity they've been given, identify their own passions and requirements, explore a little bit through, you know, training in things like certifications to touch industries and network with, you know, mentors in various industries to find out where do you really want to go what do you really want to be doing and to, you know, in some ways take the mask of pretend off because you don't just have yeah, to suck so it up ridiculous. anymore. You don't have to tolerate, you know, hey, I don't want to work out in the mornings. Well, you, sorry, you're going to work out anyways. Like, no, I don't have to have that part of my life anymore. So when you stop pretending like everything's great and start evaluating what you really want, it's going to take some time to try a little bit, taste it, touch it, see it, explore it, so that when transition finally comes, it's just a step, right? It's not a cliff that you trip off of, you know, it's what I felt like you're kind of just, you come to the end and you trip and you're falling and, you know, hopefully something catches you.
1: You know, your time at the Academy, when you mentioned about your figuring out, you almost alluded to it of finding your why, even while you're in Annapolis, like knowing that you wanted to be a Marine. And, and just feeling that, seeing that, knowing that you wanted to be a Marine. And so that helped drive you throughout that, that time of the academy. And then this is a little bit, you're going through another. So you did that transition, that first part, figuring out, getting into your plebe year, first year academy, and then you transition again, because now you're learning this whole new thing about being a Marine Corps officer. Now you're going through another transition. And that's why I think I learned too, is like the multiple transitions that we go through throughout just our life in general. but you alluded to even certifications, but I think that that was really valuable from what you mentioned earlier in the episode about finding your why and no, at least at that point, wanting to be a Marine. So, and I, I think that even for me, like I didn't realize my why until much later than that. So I think that in that sense, you were lucky to be able to figure that out. And I'd love to know, I know you speak to service members, transitioning service members all the time, but If you were to to speak to a room of them now, what's your advice to them as far as you you to certification starting early? Do you have any kind of a key highlight there that you'd give them as advice?
0: I mean, other than the start early, start now, you know, kind of a concept. I really think it's that you have to understand that every journey is unique and it's a journey. It is not a destination, right? And in that journey, there are every emotion, you everything you're going to feel and all of those emotions are okay. I was sharing with a, you know, retiring chief one officer out of Hawaii, you know, just voluntary mentoring, you know, him. And one thing that came out is he felt guilty because he wanted to leave. And I said, you should never feel guilty wanting to do what's best for you, right? And you've served, you've done your job, like it's okay to want something different. And I could see the weight of emotion, like fall off of him, you know, almost come to tears. You know, like, wow, like you're the first person that told me it's okay to have feelings, you know, and it's kind of, you know, some joke you watch like Major Pain, you know, and other movies out there in Hollywood about, you know, just suck it up and tolerate it. But emotion, you know, emotion is going to happen, especially during transition, and it's going to flood you and in some ways overwhelm you. So allow yourself to feel, allow yourself to have passions, allow yourself to have your own desires and explore those, listen to those, talk to people, right? Don't just do what you think you're supposed to do. You know, and that's, it's so hard for us in uniform because all we've been taught is to do what you're told, right? This is going to be your MOS and it's given to you. And you're going to go to this school. And when you get to your unit, this is how you're supposed to behave. And this is how you do the job. And this is the SOP. This is the training. This is the rock, you know, lockstep track you're supposed to go down. And then in transition, it's, you're kind of waiting for someone to say, go do it like this. And yet that can't happen because everyone's journey is their own. And we start grasping onto things that we want to make it feel like it used to be. You know, the family is supposed to guide you and direct you. And yet it's kind of the first time where, look, you need to start exploring and allow yourself to run through who you are, right? What is your why? What are your strengths? What do you really want to be doing? And then how do you build up the capability in yourself to let you go do the job you really want to have? And, you know, so I think is, you know, start early, but allow yourself the freedom to explore beyond what you are told to do, or you think you are supposed to do and start exploring what you want to do and map that out first. And yeah, then, yeah, you know, choose the path that lets you get there. So I use the analogy, I said, fishing earlier, hunting is the counter to that. And the first step in hunting is what and why are you hunting? And to do that, you know, Sung Soo, know your enemy, know yourself. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you want in life from, you know, pay, salary, location, expectation, responsibility. There's so many things you have to start exploring. But that frames then what are you hunting after? What kind of a job do you need to have that's going to satisfy who you are and your life requirements? And it starts with knowing your requirements and knowing yourself, right? So explore that, right? Simon Sinek has a great veteran discount. It's a $250 program called Find Your Why that's 25 bucks for vets. It's tremendous. Strengths Finder 2.0, the Gallup Clifton Strengths Finder assessment. Did that one too. It's tremendous way to know your strengths and Again, neither one of those tell you a job title, but they let you know what you bring to the table and you can assess, if I take this job in this industry, am I going to be able to use the gifts that I have? Am I going to be able to do a job that fits my why? And if it's not going to be that way, don't go after it. I'll tell you, you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be miserable quickly. But if you know your why, if you know your strengths, if you know your requirements, you may have so many more opportunities or job titles that you never even considered before. Like right now I'm the chief strategy officer, you know, director of business development, whatever, doing sales. And when I first transitioned, I said I never ever want to do sales because my perception was wrong of what that looked like. But I'll tell you, 4 p.m. ProLearn, helping veterans upskill and transition better. I love my job and I love what I get to do every single day to help people and I get to leverage my strengths and strategy and thoughts to build and grow a company. So with this company and this purpose and this mission, this job title works for me. But for right. another company, it might not. So the job title is not the foundation. Who you are and knowing yourself and your requirements is the foundation.
1: And I, and I think that one thing that really sticks out to me, Josh, with your journey especially is I have come across veterans who don't want to identify as veteran when they get out. Like uh, when they, when they make that transition, they don't identify as veteran. It's like, yes, I served, I did my time, but that's it. I'm wiping my hands clean of it. And, and I would almost think that with the experience that you had, that things weren't always sunshine and rainbows during your time in service um, and that you could have easily, you know, just walked away and, and been done with that, just done with the veteran community. But the fact that you, continue to just show up every day and and continue to reach back, especially directly, you know you have companies that they may touch the military once in a while. But you literally do it every day uh, that you're meeting with different military installations different uh, veteran groups, uh, even some of the veteran service organizations that you volunteer with. Uh, I think that's really commendable that you continue to do that um, and, and share you know, that things weren't always great in in your military career. You did serve and and you do love the Marine Corps and you love giving back to to veterans so that they can learn from your story, your experience. And so I did want to give this opportunity for you to touch a little bit on the veteran service organizations that you do volunteer with or even some of the other great ones out there. I know you talked about a suit earlier, about SFL Taps, teaches you about a suit, but we know a good,
0: great guy out there Um, that suits. Yeah, Um, salute to suit. I got (laughs) to give total credit to A-Rod in salute to suit. I've been a brand ambassador with them now for, I don't know, almost two years, I guess. And I still talk to him frequently and try to give him some insights in entrepreneurship and understanding the veteran community so he can better serve the fellow vets, right? So I love what he's doing. If you're looking for a wardrobe, his dress for success class is amazing. The coaching you'll get from him. On how to look like a professional and whether it's supposed to be you know double breasted, single-breasted, how many buttons are supposed to be. I mean, all the things you never really know how to ask I did not it.
1: know until I talked to A-rod. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to dress myself till I
0: talked yeah. to- it's like um cowboy. I remember the first time I said this is a formal dinner. I said, What's that mean? A button down, you know, and it was like, Oh, it's semi-formal. I was like, So jeans and a t-shirt, not polo, you know. Or, I had no idea how to dress whatsoever. So I love what A-rod's doing. I volunteer a lot with him. Um, I do a lot of volunteer with all to opportunity, you know, some somebody like, why do you volunteer with a competitor since they take students away from you? And it's like, why? Because I think I can still help them improve their product and help their veterans that they're touching and do it in a better way. So I volunteer my time with O2O. I teach an empowered transition class with them. I just talked to USO today. I think I'm going to be invited out to Fort Hood after one of their mega career fairs that they're doing to teach that class about identity uh, with the USO and, and you know, again, I volunteer with anyone and everyone I possibly can. I'm an ACP mentor. I've done free webinars with ACP. I volunteer with MOA um, to do classes on translating military to project management. You know, why veterans make it project managers. You know, again, so you know, that is my, my passion is helping to educate and empower vets so that they are aware of and can make the right decision for themselves. Right. And again, I love Arod, love what he's doing. You know, love the team I get to work with, you know, Tim Dahlhouse, the CEO. Who I went to church with on active duty. We sang in the praise team together. We were both in uniform. He became my PMP trainer, and now I he's should a have had someone
1: here just so you guys could sing and do a demo for us.
0: <laughs> oh, and I'm a drummer. I don't. I don't but sing.
1: I think you're you're like a almost like a walking fact sheet, Josh. Like I see with a lot of the work that you're doing, it's debunking the myths and debunking the the gray area. Like all these questions that we have when we're transitioning, you just go down the line and you answer those questions. <laughs> Uh, for the military veteran community you're like well you're walking fact sheet well you like you because you really just take the time to understand those answers but like to your fishing analogy your hunting analogy knowing the audience that that the veteran and military community that we are special in the sense we're, we're different we're not your average student we're not your average college kid we're not your average person civilian going through a transition there's unique differences about us in our community yep. and you take the time to create those analogies so that we can better understand and relate. Really, really take that time to identify what we want to do next. And it can be scary if we don't have that direction. I think you put it in the most simplest terms. So I, I know, I, I'm sure that our listeners are going to want to get in, in touch with you and um ask more questions since we have <laughs> all these answers. So I wanted to, if you could tell us a little bit about how our community, our listeners can get in touch with you.
0: Absolutely. So I am on LinkedIn. You can look me up, Joshua J. Atkinson with a T. So it's A-T-K-I-N-S-O-N. Joshua is spelled like Joshua. Go figure that out. If you want to send me an email, you can, Atkinson at p-m-prolearn.com. Go to our website at PM ProLearn, right? PM ProLearn.com. Send a note, fill a request out, go on chat and say, hey, I just want to talk to Josh. You know, yeah, my, my, my phone number, four four three seven one six five six one four. 716 5614 Just don't spam me out there. I don't care. I answer calls from everybody. <laughs> I, I take calls all night. Sometimes, you know, I've talked with folks in Korea and Italy and Guam and I set up time to be available when I can be because you know, again, all I'm doing is sharing what I wish I would have known. And the the metaphors and the things I've been able to come up with are because I experienced them and I just wanted to find a way to make it better. So, you know, connect with me. I am at that like 30K limit on LinkedIn. So I have to delete people to add people. So I'm always kind of going through and cleaning out my connections so I can add more connections and keep helping more people. You know, but that's part of who I am. See, that's what I was saying.
1: I was like LinkedIn celebrity. And you're like, no, I'm not. I'm like, I don't have 30,000 nearly, but um,
0: it's just all I the thinking- doors I knock on. So, I mean, <laughs> people don't follow me and haven't really come to me. It's in me going to find a bunch of veterans and say, can I help you? Right. And that's how we grew ProLearn from the beginning was, you know, the time I had 500 connections. I went and started adding any veteran I possibly could and saying, hey, I'm trying to help vets. Here's what I want to do to help them. Do you know anybody I can help? And if it's you, great. If it's somebody else, can you please connect me with that person? Because well, that's, that's what I I think that's do. great.
1: Because we're not Um, because sometimes we're we're not in the position, you know, especially with many of us having type A personalities in the military, we don't want to ask for help and we think that we can figure it out on our own and so I think even just having someone reach out and I had folks reach out to me on LinkedIn that they asked me a question and it's a question that I didn't stop to think about and they get me thinking and I'm like, you know what, I actually don't know the answer, but, you know, I I could use your help or I'd like to schedule a virtual cup of coffee with you and talk more about it. So I I really appreciate you throwing out every way that they can contact you, even smoke signals. (laughs) Uh, So connect with Josh to learn more, um, you know, whether that's just the veteran organizations that he mentioned today, volunteered with a. Volunteers with, and I think you, you know, Josh brought up a great point. Volunteering is is so great. It's so great to give back. You receive so many blessings tenfold, in on on the return end. But even just growing out your network, uh, growing out those opportunities and opening doors uh, through volunteering. But I want to thank you today on behalf of Veteran Voices for joining us. And we invite you to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. A big thanks to our partners at Vets to Industry. This is Mary-Kate Saliva, wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Stay motivated. As Josh says, do good and give forward to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody.